that was meant to be painfully practical, we came up with these videos. How many of you had ever seen that one before? How many of you are ready to go home and break something just to see if it works? You're like, I'm going to try that. I'm going to tell you right now, it doesn't work with that hard, crusty, all wheat, you know, you need some good old Wonder Bread. You need some spongy white bread for that to really work. Well, I just want you to know that, you know, because you need the chemicals. I'm just kidding. It's the Daniels thing. It's making me crazy. So anyway, we've been in a series called How To. Everybody say that. Remember, say How To. We've been in a series called How To, and it was meant to be practical. We looked at this year, and I just, I just prayed and said, God, what is it that I can help these people to establish their year off right? Because I, I don't know about you, when we start the new year, you typically have these kind of fresh ambitions about this year being better and us turning a new page and over a new leaf and all these ideas. And so I thought, how can I set up new beginnings to have a great 2014? So we just start with the very first message, and it was simply this. How do you start your year off right? Which, which is incredible. I would really encourage you, if you missed that one, to go watch that one. Because that, I think, will set the tone for your entire year if you can apply that message to your life. But then we looked into some other things. Last week, uh, we, we looked into, or the, the, the previous week, we looked into how to fast. Last week, we were looking into some simple ideas. And so uh, this week, we're going to kind of close on an idea that I think every one of us deal with on a daily basis. And it's this big idea of how to overcome temptation. Because here's what I know about you. You face temptation on a daily basis. Let me tell you what I know about me. I know I face, I face temptation on a hour by hour. But can I get, yeah, some help here. Yeah, you just do. You wake up in the morning, and depending on like how good your sleep was, you might be tempted to be moody as soon as you wake up in the morning and be grouchy. I know, I know how it is. Sometimes you wake up, and all of a sudden your spouse says just the right thing to get up on your nerves. Like, oh, no, you just didn't. Then, you know, you, you take the commute to work and you are tempted to become angry. Hey, I, let, let's, I was going to say, how many of you ever, like, witnessed road rage? And then I thought, well, how many participated in road rage? Let's back up. How many of you ever witnessed road rage? Like, wit- I'm just like two days ago, I'm driving down the road. It was just me and my son. I don't remember where we're going. And I see these cars get into a fight on the road. I'm like, I'm waiting for like, it feels like fast and furious. On Isabel, you know, just right around the corner here, like, like going crazy. And one of them cut the other one off, and the other one, I don't know what happened. He went banana. He went crazy. So anyway, we, we have this temptation. So, so then you get to work, and you got that obnoxious coworker or the boss that just says the wrong thing. Or, or, or maybe you got that, that hot thing down the hall that, you know, that, and you, there's a temptation there for that. And then, you know, so you have all these temptations just almost on an hour-by-hour basis. And we're constantly surrounded by temptation, aren't we? Here's what else I know about you. Here's, here's, because this is what's true about me too. You have specific temptations that you stink at. Like, there are some people, they just don't have an anger issue at all. They're just sweet. Nothing bothers them. They're kind about everything. Like, they don't never get their feathers ruffled. And they, that even gets up on your nerves. Like, you're angry that they don't get angry. Some of you have spouses like that. You're like, I just want you to fight with me. So, so, so we have our specific, like, like, some of us have specific issues. Some of us have, like, shopping issues. Like, that's just, like, we can't say no to Visa and Master 
our life card. You know what I mean? We, we, we can't say no to it. And, and some of us have lust issues. And the real and the movie reel that plays in our mind is constant. Everything that we see sparks an image that takes us to an image and a thought. And we just, we get caught. And, and some of us, it is the anger thing. And some of us, and we all have a temptation. And maybe it's the temptation to lie. A little bit, you know. To cheat. Just to cut some corners here and there. To, to steal, to gossip. So whatever it is, we are all faced in this ongoing battle of temptation. Now, let me help you and define for you what temptation is so that we all know what we're talking about. And this is what I mean by temptation. Temptation is not sin in and of itself. I'm waiting for something to pop up on the screen. I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm willing it. There it goes. Stay with me, people. Temptation. I'm not talking about sin. We're talking about the temptation to sin because temptation itself isn't sin, but it's the opportunity to turn away from God's best and to settle for something less, possibly something evil. That's what we're talking about. I'm not talking about the sin. I'm talking about the opportunity, the enticement, the allurement, the attraction to sin. That's what we're talking about here because we all are faced with it on an ongoing, regular basis. And the Bible, I just want you to know, like the Bible is full of this stuff. Like, I started asking myself, like, where is this in the Scripture, God, that you would have me lean into? And I just thought of too many things and too many ways that I could go down. I thought, I'm not going down any of them. I just, but, but like, let me give you some sampling of, of great temptation in the Bible. You know, the very first temptation is, is of course, Adam and Eve and the Garden of Eden, the fruit and all that. Let's get to the, the, the even crazier one. They're kids. What's weird is, is that Cain has anger issues. And he's angry about his offering. Like, how are you going to be angry about church? Like, angry. Like, I didn't like that worship song. Why are you angry about it, though? Like, I, I, I didn't like what the pastor said. Yeah, but why are you angry about it? Like, you're tripping. You said, church, calm down. Cain is trying to give the Lord an offering. And basically, the Lord rebukes him because he didn't do it the right way. But Abel did. So not only is he angry, he's angry and jealous. And he's jealous at the fact that his brother was approved by God and that he wasn't. And so the Bible says that, that God speaks to him and says, Cain, you're tripping. Okay, that's not the exact translation. But if you read it, it's basically what he said. Cain, why are you so tripping? Why are you so downcast in your face? Why are you so angry in your heart? He goes, be careful because sin is crouching at the door. And then, of course, we know that sin not only was crouching at the door, but jumped up on his back, and they took a ride together. And they rode out into the field with their brother and killed him and beat him to death. You're like, what is wrong? What is wrong with this symptom? But what, what you see is that God gives this unique dynamic. He goes, Caref be careful, because sin is crouching at the door. And, and God paints the original picture of sin, even in Genesis chapter 4, saying, be careful, because sin is something that just kind of lies in wait. And how many know, like I just, I just gave out some basic examples. It's waiting on us all the time. But you know what? There's also some people that like overcome. So like, let me give you another one. Like Joseph and Potiphar's wife. There's this fascinating story. It goes to about Genesis chapter 39 or so. Joseph is, is this handsome looking dude. Basically like eight pack abs, studly, manly, strong. They describe him because he's, he's the chief servant of the house. He starts out as like the glorified pool boy is what he is. Like that looks really, really good. And Potiphar's husband is going on business a lot. And so you got this desperate housewife situa situation. You got the good looking guy. Mm -hmm. And so, so the Bible says that she begins to entice him and tempt him. And c come on. 
And he keeps saying no, and he keeps saying no, until finally he gets, uh, he gets to where like he's trapped in a situation where he's alone with her. And you know what he does? He does the right thing. The Bible says that she's trying to get him to do the deed. Y'all know what that means. And that Joseph literally flees and just takes off in a dead sprint and runs. And, and, and guys, here's the big principle, and this will probably come up later, but like, here, here's the big principle. When it comes to sexual temptation, you're not strong enough. Like, you, you don't have the strength. Isn't that encouraging from your pastor? Like, you don't have it in you. I'm like the anti-Joel Osteen right now. You can't do it. You can't overcome. Okay. Okay. He, well, this is biblical. The Bible, when it refers to sexual temptation, does never say, be strong against sexual temptation. What it says is, is flee sexual temptation. Because if you stay in that environment long enough, you're not strong enough. You don't got it in you. You're not wired that way. You have no option to stand in that environment and to be strong against sexual temptation. Your only option is to run. This is to head for the hills. Hit the door running and don't look back. Does that make sense? And, and, and so Joseph gives us a blueprint of how to overcome sexual temptation. Here's another one. This is another uh, a big fail. Um, David and Bathsheba. I mean, here's a guy who sees another man's wife. And, and he just can't, if you know the story, it's real simple. It's the story of a guy who sees a pretty girl. He has all the authority in the world, and he can just take what he wants and do what he wants. At least that's what he thinks until God says, actually, you don't have all authority. I do. And he calls him out on his junk. But what you find is David giving into the sexual temptation rather than running and fleeing from it. And then also, lastly, this is just, again, these are just the big temptations of the Bible. You see Jesus in the wilderness being tempted by Satan. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 4 that he's fasting. He literally does a 40-day fast. Now, how many of you have already done before sometime in your life like a 24-hour period where you're fasting? Yeah. You know, maybe, maybe you've done more than that. Maybe you've done a two or three or five day or something like that. Do you remember how hungry you were? Okay, now imagine 40 days. Like this is the limit. If you ever talk to doctors, they'll tell you that you actually can do certain lengths of fasting, but 40 days is the absolute maximum they want you to fast. After that, your, your body probably just can't handle it anymore. And you know what the very first temptation that Satan brings is? Dude, you've got to be hungry. You want some food? That's the very first temptation. And what Jesus shows you, and it's Matthew chapter 4, go read it for yourself. This is a brilliant take on how Jesus responds to Satan with Scripture. For every temptation, there's a scripture that combats it. For every temptation, there's just a, a word from God. And what's funny is that Satan uses the Bible. Like Satan's pretty smart, so he's like, well, but Jesus, doesn't the Bible say this? So just so you know, like, be careful. Because I know a lot of people who actually find scriptures to justify stupid behavior. So just because you can find a scripture that kind of helps you support what you really, really, like, be careful. Because Satan found scripture to support Jesus doing something he shouldn't have been doing. Does that make sense? And so in the Bible, you see these incredible examples. But what I'm going to show you today is that in the book of James, James gives a detailed layout of what temptation is. And I believe, I truly, truly believe this based on my own life experience and the experience of so many people that I've been able to counsel or encounter or talk with. He gives you the blueprint for how do you overcome temptation. You have your Bible, go to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. The Bible says this, and you've got to follow along. There's a setup, and there's two scriptures that we're going to focus on. James says, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. 
When tempted, nobody should be saying that God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. Key verse here. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. This is some incredible stuff right here. He literally lays it out. Let me just give you a, a few key, key thoughts here real quick here. Number one is this. is God says there's a reward and a blessing for overcoming temptation. I want you to know that. Like God doesn't give rules so that he can see, you know, which ones are the good ones and which ones were the bad ones. Actually, the Bible says we're all kind of the bad ones and we all need to be saved by Jesus' perfect sacrifice on the cross. So this isn't about who's good and who's bad. This is about God trying to get you into the best life possible. Did you know that? Did you know that every command in all of Scripture, whether it's a command that says don't do that, or if it's a command that says do live like this, every one of God's commands has intrinsic value into it. Does that make sense? Like it's, it's laced into it. The outcomes are all connected. If you will live God's ways, your life will always be better than if you did the opposite. So every time God says don't, the best question you can ask yourself after reading a scripture where God says don't is ask yourself why. Like why would God say not to do that? And what you'll find is that there's a rabbit hole that always leads you to a greater outcome if I would just simply trust God. And every time God says do live like this, ask yourself the question why? Why would God tell me to live like this instead of doing the opposite or live like this instead of doing it my way or the other way? And what you'll find is it'll lead down a rabbit hole that always leads Jesus would refer to as the abundant life. So all of God's commands have that in them. That's why he says, when you overcome, you're going to be blessed in this life and the life to come. That there's eternal reward for those who overcome temptation. But here's what temptation really is. Go to verse number 14 with me real quick here. And let's break down just these two verses. The Bible says that each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. You know what that means? That means it's really, it's really about you. Contrary to popular opinion, the devil did not make you do it. That only works when you're like five. You know, like after that, it's not even cute no more. So, so the devil didn't make you do it. What James says is that you are tempted when you are dragged away. Everybody say dragged away. If you look this up, the original language is this. Is that really what he's referring to is dragged away is a Greek word that's too complicated for me to enunciate, but it's a hunting and fishing term. Like, like it's, it's not common vernacular, it's hunting vernacular. It's fishing. It's like, it's like somebody who's on the hunt. Like This is what temptation really is. Like I said, temptation is not sin in of itself. It's just the trap. It's the setup. So that, like, this is where you need to begin is that you need to do the first thing in this process, which is this, recognize the trap. Like there is a trap that has been set for you. Let me make sense of this. Like, okay, my dad is like an uber hunter. Do we have any hunters out there? You like to shoot and kill things? It's okay. I'm, I'm not from California. I'm from South Carolina. That's all we do is shoot things. So, um, a fisherman. I mean, there's a lot more fishermen in here, I know. Okay, so yeah. Fish, okay, so you, okay. My dad was an uber hunter. My dad was, was a sportsman and would travel places to go hunt and do all that stuff. And so we owned property in South Carolina. And my dad set up all the, like, I think a few hundred acres of property. And he would just fine tune it. It was Disneyland for deer. 
That's the best way to describe it. And my dad, and he taught me all this stuff. And I was bored out of my mind as a kid. I thought it was the dumbest thing in the world. I wanted to go play a video game. But he dragged me into the woods to go show me all this. To be like, hey, what's that right there? And he showed me all these tracks, and he tried to teach me. I was like, I didn't care. But I had enough sense that I knew what was going on. And my dad would literally make food plots with all the things. He would study deer to find out what deer really like, and then he would plant that. And then he'd go create a salt lick, which is this thing that deer like to just go and lick the salt. And, and, then, and then he would create these shooting lanes. He'd set up deer stands and create shooting lanes. And all this was built and put together for one main reason, is he was setting a trap. And that's what temptation really is. And so here's what deer do. Deer, some of them are, are kind of smart, actually, and the older they get, and, and, and especially the bucks, those are the prize trophy ones, they hide deep in the, in the, and they don't come out to the food plots, they're not that dumb. I don't know what the difference between a dumb deer and a smart deer is, I never figured that out. But most deer are dumb. And they're just like, oh, food, mm, go. Mm, salt, me lick it. You know, life over. All deer don't go to heaven. I don't know, I don't think they go anywhere. I don't think animals have a soul, but I think dogs do maybe, but not cats. So, now that's real loose theology, just so you know right there. You don't, don't pin me down on that last statement. But let, let me encourage you. Some of us act like the dumb deer, and some of us act like the wise and smart deer. Some of us in life Keep going down the same road, headed into the same disastrous situation like a deer in the headlights. We are just walking straight towards it. And, and how many of you know you can see this in your friends? Have you ever noticed that? You can always see it in your friends because, because it's, it's clear. You're like, are you kidding me? They're going to date that guy again? What a moron. You know, like they're going to go out with that. They're going to go to that place. They're going to do that. They're going to make that investment. They're going to do that with their time. And you're just sitting there thinking like, what a... What a dumb deer is, you know, kind of the, the, the analogy we're playing here now. And they just came walking right to the, to the place of temptation. But how many know it's kind of harder to see when we're talking about ourselves? There's always a reason why we would go there. We've come up with a justification. We've come up with an excuse. And it's a really, really good. But you don't understand. But did you know? But see, I was just trying. And we have all these kind of phrases and ways of justifying the dumb deer mentality of just walking straight back into the trap. This is why I think the, the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness is so brilliant. Because people who really know the scripture, and not just on a surface level, not just, well, I think my pastor said, well, I think what the Bible says. Well, doesn't the Bible teach? I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about you know the scripture to where, as David said it like this, God, I hid your words in my heart so that I might not sin against you. Because people like that see things more as what they really are. Nobody's perfect at this. Nobody's purely objective. But people that, that have Scripture buried in their heart, they just see things a little more clear. They can walk up and be like, mm, that's, that's Salt Lake and that's, that's a food plot and I ain't going over there because that's dumb. And they just know. Here's, here's a couple questions I, ask, I want you to ask yourself. What is my greatest temptation? Because we already admitted, we already know that some of us just, we, we have a thing. We might have one or two or three or, some of have about eight, but two or three things that that's just our thing. That's the temptation and the trap that we know that we are going to fall into. Here, here's what I want you to do. Just be honest with yourself. And be honest with your friends or your spouse. who be like, hey, I stink at this. Some of you have anger issues. The best thing you ever say is that I have an anger issue. And I'm sorry. 
I, I need help with this. And if you could help, like just, just own it and confess it because as long as you're unwilling to own it and confess it, you are blind to it. And you're justifying it and you're reasoning it away and excusing it away and you're walking right down Shooter's Alley. Nextly, this is the other thing that you notice is when and where do they most often happen? Let's just be real. Most of our temptations can be put into a location or be connected to a person. I'm getting like some amens and some of y'all are nervous over here. Like some of us, you know, like the dumb story of where we fell into our mess began with, well, you know, I was with these people. And I can't say their names because they're your friends. But I was, I was with so-and-so. I used to have a friend like that. His name was Otto. I mean, that should indicate something. Isn't that the bus driver on the Simpsons show? I mean, like that, that should just indicate, so if your name is Otto, be aware, okay? So if you have a friend named Otto, just check it. Just, just saying. And I just knew that whenever I was with Otto, it was automatic that I was going to do something stupid. And I, I just knew. So at some point in your life, you just got to say, I can't hang out with Otto. Because Otto's crazy. And some of you have that. Some of you, and some of you, it's such a strong tie. It's a dating relationship. But you're emotionally connected. But we love each other. And we've been together for so long. You've got all these excuses and all these reasons. But you know you're in a relationship that God wouldn't want you to be in. And it's not leading you to the best life. Probably. It's just not. But it's connected to that person, or sometimes it's connected to that place. Let's just get it out in the open and say that, hey, we might want to be wise. We might want to be a little bit more aware of how the trap is being laid so that we can recognize the trap before it comes. Because if we can just recognize the trap as we walk a little bit closer to it, then it's easy to avoid the temptation. Can somebody say amen? Okay. So this, the second thing you need to do, let's go back to verse number 14. Verse number 14 says this, that we are dragged away by our own evil desires and enticed. Verse number 15, then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and when it is full grown, it gives birth to death. Okay, here's my thought. If we are dragged away by our own desires, and that's really what gets into the trouble, wouldn't the most obvious thing in the world be then just to change our desires? But then you ask yourself the question, how do I do that? This is what I really, really want. This is what I really, really need. And so, so if you could throw this on the board, like you need to change your desires. I'm kind of flipping the order on them a little bit. You need to change your desires. But that is an enigma, isn't it? Like Todd, if it were just as easy as, then I wouldn't keep doing all those things. It's not that easy, Todd. I would say, yeah, I know. I totally get that. I'm with you on that. So the question, how do you change your desires. I'm going to tell you something that's hidden in the scripture that I think is so profound that will help you change your desires. First of all, let me read Psalms 37 verse 4. It says this. It says, take delight in the Lord and he will give you what? The desires of your heart. If you look at the scripture, I think kind of superficially, you would think, mm, if I delight myself in the Lord, he's just going to give me everything I want. I don't think that's what this is referring to. What I think it's referring to is as we delight ourselves in the Lord, which means this, as we connect to God, enjoy God, draw our strength and our pleasure and our fulfillment from God, then actually what he's going to do is give us new desires. So where do your desires come from? Ultimately, they're coming from wherever you are satisfying your soul. 
If you are so desperately need in attention from the opposite sex, and that's what you have to have to satisfy your soul, then you have a craving for that, which is why you go from relationship to relationship and boy to boy and girl to girl. Why? Because it satisfies your soul. As you take delight in that, it becomes the desire that you long for even more. What I'm telling you is this, is that at some point, you're going to have to say no to that thing, and it's going to be hard. And you're going to actually have to learn how to desire the things of God. Now, for some of you, you ever, let's just be real. Have you ever wondered why you thought, why is it so hard to pray? Why do I never really want to read the Bible? Why do I not care about that? Why is it hard for me to be in church every week? Because here's the deal. You don't long for it. Have you ever had a craving for something? You just absolutely had to have it to satisfy. That's what we're talking about here, a desire and a longing. I'm going to tell you why and expose to you why you don't have those longing for the things of God. Are you ready? This is in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 27, verse 7 says this. It said, one who is full loathes the honeycomb. I'm sorry, one who is full loathes honey from the comb. I'm, I'm used to quoting from a different translation. I'm sorry. But to the hungry, even what is bitter tastes sweet. One who is full loathes the honeycomb, but to the hungry, even what is bitter tastes sweet. Okay, let me make some sense of this verse and why I think this verse is so profound to understanding your desires, your longings, and your cravings. Many of us don't desire after the things of God, and I'll tell you why. You're already full. There's no more room. You ever been so stuffed after a good meal that you just, it was so good, maybe it was like a Thanksgiving thing, or you went to a dinner, and maybe you hit the buffet, um, and you ate so much food, and then all of a sudden somebody offers you like a dessert, and you're like, oh my God, I don't even want that. You ever ate so much that you feel like gross? Yeah, you get the food baby. You ever do that? Like, like I'm pregnant with turkey. Um, this is what the verse is saying. When you are so full, you loathe even which that which is sweet, or what we would call dessert. And what I would tell you is that the reason why you don't desire and long after the things of God is because you're already full. You are full consuming the things of this world. All the intake, all the TV and the media and this and that and every type of thing that you consume yourself with, maybe it's just the, the, the temptation that you give into and you just keep feeding on it. Why is it that you hate the fact that you crave that sin? And you can't shake it. It's because you actually, here's the other principle behind this. Do you know that you crave what you eat on? Let me say that again. You actually crave what you eat on. Let me make sense of this. When, when I was a, a young man, and, and before I got married and had a wife that took care of me, um, I used to eat fast food constantly. I mean, every meal was fast food because I didn't have a home. I, mean, I wasn't homeless, but like I literally slept on the couch in this apartment and I was never at home. I literally got up in the morning, left, didn't get home till late at night. And this is again, this is kind of my early college type intern years working at a church. I just didn't have a home life. Uh, my parents lived in a different state and I was at this church working there. And I, so every meal that I ate was fast food. And you know what? When I got hungry, do you know what I longed for? Fast food. Anybody ever been there? Like you thinking about them chicken nuggets. Like dreaming about them. You don't count sheep. You count, you count nuggets. Just one, two. You, you long for. And, and you, got, you, you got your special number too, right? Because you know if you go to that place, it's a number seven. Know this, this, this with a little bit of that. And you know if you go to this place, it's a number, it's a number four. And so you got, all, you got your numbers down. And you actually crave and long for fast food. That's the way that I was. And then my wife came along. And she's very healthy and very food conscious. And she starts introducing foods to me. And I think they're gross. 
Because what I really want is I want to go to Burger King. I want to go to Taco Bell. I want to go to a fast food place and get me some fast food because that's all I'd been eating on. And I'm telling you, slowly, eventually, my wife moved me out of that and started introducing me to new foods and new things. And I actually, I don't ever eat fast food now. Like, never. Like, In-N-Out would be the only fast food that I eat. And that's, that's pretty good still. Um, but, like, I, I actually, whenever I eat that food now, it makes me, like, a little sick. Like, it's too heavy. It's too much grease. My system is not used to it anymore. And I have no longing for it whatsoever. But I'll tell you why. It's because I started eating other things. And as I began to eat other things, I actually, the more I ate those things, I began to long for those things. So if you ever wondered, can you change your diet... Or change your appetite, the answer is yes. You just have to start eating those things even when you don't like them and eventually your appetite will change to them. The bigger picture is this. With your heart and soul, the things that you constantly consume for your soul, that is what you will long for. But here's what you have to do. You actually have to change your appetite by changing what you consume and changing what you use to satisfy your soul. That's how you change your desires. So that sin that you keep beating yourself up about, that sin that you really, really wish you could shake, I'm telling you, now, now here's the other thing now, because there's a little, there's a tension here. Are you ready for the tension? The tension is, is that you can't actually walk away from sin and do other cravings and other desires at the same time. You can't do that. As long as you're still consuming this and trying to consume that, it, it, you always have that tension there. You'll never be able to break free of that sin. What you have to do is this. Number, number three in the step process is this, is you need to create some boundaries and create some guardrails. If you never create boundaries and create guardrails, because here's ultimately what's got to happen when it comes to your sin and your temptation, your things, you're going to have to say no to them, and it will just be hard. You're going to have to cut yourself off and wean yourself off from those things for a time period. And as you cut those things off, you will have to start to consume and satisfy your soul with the things of God. And as you walk away from those and walk here, but you can't do both at the same time. Does that make sense? You can't have your, your hand in this cookie jar and then you have your hand over here in this one too. It is impossible to do that. You will always find that thing, that struggle, that back and forth and God, why? And I repented and I thought I, I asked for your help and I asked for your strength. Yeah, but you kept consuming those sins. You kept satisfying your soul with something other than God. Isn't that what sin really is? Sin is, is meeting a legitimate need in an illegitimate way. You've got a longing in your soul. You're just getting it met the wrong way rather than having God meet that need through a right way. But you cannot do both at the same time, so you have to create some guardrails. And I deal with people on this level all the time. Like I have a young man who comes to me and says, hey, Todd, I struggle with pornography. I just know that not, late at night, the computer's sitting there, and I just want to jump on, and I'm, I'm going to look at some pornography, and I can't say no to it. And, and you know what? I told him, I said, you're right. You're probably never going to be able to stop doing that. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to leave your computer at the office. Because you don't have the ability to say no yet. You still have the cravings and the desires and that will override what you know would be best. So you know what you have to do? You have to cut yourself off from the internet. Like, and, then, and then, of course, then phones all of a sudden. I get these people telling me like they're, they're looking at porn on their phones. And I'm like, really? On the phone? So I, I know a guy that did this. He, there, there's actually an app that you can get. It's called triplexchurch.com. You can actually make it your internet browser and it filters everything that you look at and if you ever look at anything compromising, it sends an email to your accountability partner that you plug in as you set up your account. So I've got some people that do this. I get emails from a couple different guys every single week or every single month or however often it kicks over to me like, hey, here's the sites that so-and-so 
You need anything that might be compromising. And I know one guy was like looking and shopping for his wife. And so it's like some women's clothing department thing popped up. I'm like, hey, oh, yeah, okay. It wasn't the Victoria's Secret catalog. So, but that, that's just his thing. I, I, I remember dealing with this with like young men who like, hey, man, I struggle like smoking weed. I'm like, okay, so you should stop because I can't stop. I'm like, sure you can. They're like, no, no, I can't stop. I just I keep doing it. I said, let me ask you a question. Are you, are you growing this stuff in your basement? No. Okay, so who do you have to go to? Where do you have to go? Who do you have to hang out with to go do this stuff? And he starts listening to all these places and people that he goes to when he does this stuff. I'm like, okay, you can't say no to pot. You have to say no to them. Meaning like you have to create a guardrail so that you don't go over there. Because once you're there, you don't got it in you to say no. Because you still have the craving in your heart. And as long as the craving is there, you're stuck. Because what did James say temptation was? Is that you are dragged away by your own desires. It's you. It's the cravings of your soul. That's what gets you into temptation. The devil didn't make you do it. He laid a nice trap. He made Disneyland for deer and invited you into the shooting lane. But bless God, you walked yourself up in there. You said yes. You took that step. And what I'm telling you is this, is that you're going to have to create a guardrail, create a boundary, create a barrier. You might not be able to go to those places. You might have to stop hanging out with those people. That's okay. You love them from a distance. But like, you're going to have to cut off certain relationships that they cause you to sin. It's not worth it. Let me, let me give you this, this, this scripture. This is a scripture that Jesus put out there. Matthew chapter 5, verse 29. He says, if your right eye causes you to stumble, just gouge it out. Just throw it away. It's better to go into heaven with an eye patch than to keep your eye and split hell wide open. I mean, that's just, that's the PT translation right there. PTV, Pastor Todd version. Anyway. Better, better to go into heaven and look like a pirate. Arr, Métis. I overcame. You know, so... I'm sorry. I have kids and Jake and the Neverland Pirates is on at my house. So, here's my point. Now, now listen, listen, listen. If, if this were a true statement, then we'd have a lot of Christians walking around with eye patches. And this is, this is obviously hyperbole. I mean, this is, this is Jesus making an exaggerated statement. And this is the big point that you need to take away. Is that Jesus says you need to take radical measures... That's what the ultimate point and principle is. You need to take radical measures to keep yourself from temptation. So he, here's what you have to do. Number one, you need to recognize the trap. What are my temptations? What are the things? What are the people and the places? And then I need to create a guardrail for a moment so that I am not going into those places because as long as I'm consuming those things and feeding my soul with those things, I will always want them. But once I've got that guardrail placed up, listen, let me help you out real quick. You cannot stop sinning and do nothing you can stop sinning and do something else. Your soul still longs for something. You can't say no to sin and just be like, no. You have to say no to sin and then say yes to something else because your soul still has needs and God wants to meet those needs. And when you start getting into the things of God and studying and, and looking and praying and, and, and finding yourself in the presence of God, you will find yourself longing for those things and those will be things that satisfy your soul. And then all of a sudden what you'll find is you'll get months and maybe years down the road and you'll look back at old temptations and be like, you know what, that's funny. I haven't even thought about that in so long. I have no desire whatsoever to even go there. Well, what happened? Did you get like this ability of, of will and force? No, your desires changed. What James is saying is that if you're dragged away by your own desires, 
the best possible thing for you to do to overcome temptation is to change your desires. And that's how you do it. You say no and create boundaries and cut that thing off at the source. You cut it out of your life, but then you move into the things of God so that your desires and appetites will change. And then lastly, let 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 me wrap it up here. After you create guardrails and you change your desires, the, the, here, here's the process. You're still going to make small mistakes and, 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 and fails and stumbles. You've got to repent and start all over again. Like one of the worst things that you can do, and every, so, every once in a while I bump into one of you that are like this, and some of you are like this to a greater degree than others, but you beat yourselves up about it. You absolutely just get down in the dumps and you guilt yourself and your woe is me. I, I don't even want to hear you. So... Because here's why I say that. I'm not saying that to be mean. I'm saying that just to mess with you. I'm saying that because guilting yourself is not going to help you overcome anything. You beating yourself up is not going to help you overcome anything. What you need to do is repent and realize that God has given you an opportunity to ask for forgiveness and to come back into his grace and to come back into his goodness and to come back into his mercy. Like this is the amazing grace of God. Like every time you mope and whine and guilt and guilt and beat yourself up over sin, you are literally, you are literally removing yourself from the grace of God. The very reason Jesus died was so that you could be forgiven. Jesus didn't die so you could beat yourself up and guilt yourself. Now, now you should have a sense of conviction. You should have a sense of remorse and say, I I don't want to do that anymore. I don't want to live that way anymore. But to sit and loathe in guilt, guilt is a short-term motivator. You ever feel guilty about something? And said, I'm not going to do that anymore. And guilt was your motivator. Let me ask you a question. How long did that last? As soon as that guilt wore off, you're feeling pretty good again. I think I'll do it again. And go back through the guilt cycle. But as long as you live in the guilt cycle, do you ever really change? No, because that's not how you overcome temptation. You overcome temptation by changing the appetites, the longings, and the desires of your heart. Like, I don't even want to go to the food plot. I don't want to go to the salt. Like, that is, I, that is not even something I want to do. It's not in my heart to go do. Therefore, I don't go down Shooter's Alley to get blasted because I'm no dumb deer. I know that's a mess. And I know if I say no to these things and yes to these things, that I'm going to walk into God's amazing and abundant life. That's where God wants you to be. Amen? <laughs> Last scripture, we're going to close on this. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation. No temptation has overtaken you, that which is common to man. There ain't nothing new under the sun. There's no new temptation. It's all the same. It's been going on for years and years. But this is the key scripture right here. God is faithful. You need to remember that. God is faithful. Even when you're faithless, God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Notice that it's both. There's a way out and there's endurance. Sometimes you need to take the way out. Like that's what the Bible says about sexual temptation. Like, just run. Believe. Get out of there. So sometimes he gives you the escape, the escape route. Sometimes he gives you the strength to endure. I'm telling you that God is faithful. And God is faithful even when we do fail. Now that doesn't give us a license to keep on failing. That would be abuse of the grace of God. But what he does is he gives us the strength. He gives us the ability. He gives us the way out. He gives us, you know, the opportunity to come into his presence and to change our longings and appetites and desires. And that's what God wants for you. Because at the end of the day, I'm telling you, As you say no to temptation, you are walking closer and closer to God's abundant life for you. And that's what we all want at the end of the day. Let's pray as we close up today. Father, I pray, God, that we would take this message and we would churn it over in our mind. 
that maybe we were taking notes and we, or maybe we'll get the CD after service and this is something we'll listen to again and we'll go look up the scriptures and we'll write down the scriptures and we'll pray about the scriptures and God will seek you. And God, the, the Holy Spirit, in this process, you'll guide us. You will make abundantly clear what our issues are and help us to come to grips with it. God, you're going to make it clear the places and the people that we know are, are, are dragging us down into a trap. Holy Spirit, make it clear to us. And then God, give us the wisdom. Give us the strength to say no, to set up some boundaries and guardrails, God. There's some people we need, to, we need to keep our distance from. There's some places we need to not go, probably ever again. There's some environments we need to avoid. There's some situations we need to avoid. God, above all, though, we want to long for you. And so God, help us take that first step in drawing closer and closer to you. To God, having you be the delight of our heart and the delight of our soul, the thing that satisfies us. Because I'm telling you people, when you're satisfied in God, he is most glorified in you. When you are satisfied in God, you don't, you don't even crave and desire those other things. But it is only when God becomes the longing of our soul and we find our delight in him. God, help us to take that step towards you, God. God, let us sense your presence. Let us hear your voice. God, let us feel your love and your strength working inside of us, God. Lord, that is our prayer in Jesus' name. And we all said, amen. amen. Can we give the Lord a big hand clap this morning? I am so glad that you were here this morning.